1: The <laughs> cat What's up, guys? It's Joe LaPuma. This is the Complex Sneakers Podcast. We are inside, but we're here. We're here. My guy in Jersey, Matt Welty. How you doing, brother? Uh, doing all right. How are you? Hanging in there, hanging in there. And of course, live from Brooklyn, Brendan Dunn. How's it going, buddy? Uh, you know, I'm
2: I'm stuck at home practicing the Tootsie Slide, looking like a young Bob Fosse. I'm, I'm
1: making the most of it. Listen, for the audience, we've had a little bit of technical difficulties. It's been a rocky start, but we're here. Joe, what's your internet situation like? My internet situation? is fine they tried to get me to upgrade listen the internet's fine i don't know about the program we're using no names okay we're not going to use names the internet we do have
2: to upgrade though that's what you're saying
1: we may have to upgrade okay because listen the internet's fine it's got me through around 30 million views a month so i think the internet's fine okay
3: <laughs> well see how you feeling uh feeling a, a little bit better i tried to get my internet upgraded and i had to go through like 15 layers of like complex like higher ups they hit you with the red tape the bureaucracy Um, they sent me, like, a hotspot to,
2: like, boost my thing, and, um... You going war driving? What's that? We're gonna go war driving one day.
3: What is that? That's for all my hackers listening. Did you get the internet upgraded? No, they still have to run through, like, layers of higher-ups at Complex. We're still recording remotely. We still
2: have the faint beep in the background of someone's smoke alarm in their building. We're not gonna name names. That wasn't a smoke
3: alarm, was it? There's, like, smoke alarms that have low batteries in my hallway, and I contacted my superintendent about it. And was like, hey, I'm recording a show upstairs, like being that I work from home. Can you please, you know, change the batteries in the thing? Because, you know, it gets picked up. And he's like, oh, I ordered it. I ordered the parts. You got to go in there
2: office space style with like a sledgehammer and just take care of it, you know?
1: Yeah, because I thought you were just burning the elk. You know, I thought the elk in the oven was was a, a medium well, okay? <laughs> I thought that's, that's... I, think, I, I Joe, I think I, I think I think you're the one burning food, so I Right now I have a flank steak defrosting. We'll see. I'll update you guys next week if I nailed it because the first attempt was horrible.
2: Listen, I want to say I did get in the kitchen last night. It was a big moment for me. I cooked dinner for myself for the first time and God knows how long. I made a nice little burrito. Nice. I went grocery shopping, so real meat or tofu? um no meat just you know bean and cheese and some tomato in there as well
1: all right that sounds pretty boring but also pretty good
2: (laughs) it's a step in the right direction i think
1: how we feeling about this week you guys shot an episode of fsr this is going to be out with a legend you can say who it is Clyde
2: frazier on the show man it was a good time it's always tough to recreate the energy of the studio at home but i feel like Clyde really brought it trinidad really brought it i think we all had a lot of fun and he's got so much sneaker history so many stories to tell that Yeah, uh, we really enjoyed that one.
1: Awesome. And sneaker shopping, we had the finale go up this week. uh, Lil Wayne. Young Yeah, really happy how that performed. Hold on, hold on. Yes, we're... You heard exactly, deal? I heard it. That was my favorite part of the intro, the lighter flick. Did you
3: just light a lolobo candle, Brendan, or something? <laughs> <laughs> I have a I
2: have an exquisite array of candles on the mantelpiece. Dipteek in the crib? There's a few dipteek pieces. Um, yeah. You know, there's plenty.
1: But yeah, it's been, you know. Guys hanging in there. Wealthy, you're almost at full strength. I know you were feeling under the weather, but what are you percentage-wise? What do we give you right now? Uh, I would
3: say I'm a passing grade. Okay. That's why we're out of the office, okay? Listen, we're all
2: we're all going to get a much-needed jolt of energy end of this week. I mean, listen, Drake's about to drop yes. the Tootsie slide, right? Yes. You heard the snippet? No, and I really don't. Nah, really it's fire. Don't, I don't know. Welty. Don, you know you're going to be practicing in the mirror. I'm already practicing the dance. Welty said he was
3: like, what, 60%? I'm like 60% on this Tuesday Slide thing. I'm more than 60. I'd say I'm about like 75. It actual passing grade. I don't know. I I feel like those are some of the songs that everyone gets hyped for. And then like two years later, you listen to it. And you're like, yeah, that one wasn't the best. Nah, man. Well you when I invite
2: you to my wedding ten yeah. years down the line, we're gonna hit that Disney slide and we're gonna remember these farm yep. times. By the way, we complain a lot about like working from home. Obviously, we're happy to actually be working and you know, shout out to everybody who lost their job in this so whole tough. coronavirus thing who, you know, whole service industry kinda wiped out in New York here. Our thoughts go out to those people. That's rough, but we're we're happy to still be doing our thing and kind of giving people something to digest during these tough times.
1: Absolutely. And we hope everyone's staying safe and staying inside. You know, we're gonna get through this and we'll remember this and hopefully appreciate the little things. Okay. And he did the lighter flick. I appreciate it. You can never have too many lighter flicks. So last week I thought the episode was really strong and, and it was a really good talk on Air Max. But one thing that seemed to stand out is the popping of the air bubbles. It seemed like it had some legs online and some people remembered doing it. Some people, it was the first they heard of it. And we kind of thought like, what can we do to kind of tell more stories of the retail days? You know, Wealthy and I both worked retail done what were you a barista or oh my god oh no listen 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 i've worked a lot of retail this is a little bit of
2: background never sneaker related though like i grew up in a record store i did that thing for years um I worked at a Magic the Gathering card shop in college. We can get into that a little bit in this space. But mostly I want to hear your guys' stories.
1: When Napster launched, were you really against it?
2: Yeah, I was buying every CD, man. And people at high school wanted to like borrow CDs for me to burn them. And I'm like, that's taking money off my, you know, I got to eat. My family's got to eat. So I try not to do too much pirating of music as a result. You really worked
3: at a Magic the Gathering card shop? So uh, you have like a silk button up shirt with like a fucking red dragon across the chest? Oh, wow. I'll promise you I'll tell some stories. But
2: more than that, I want to ask you guys about your sneaker retail history. I'm going to just listen on this one because this stuff is so interesting to me when you guys are telling that Air Max bubble popping story that's so foreign to me. And I kind of didn't realize how crazy stuff gets in there. So like, where did you guys start when it comes to sneaker retail?
1: For me, it started 1999. I was a sophomore in high school. I was 16. So it was about to be my first job. It was the first time that I could legally work and a bunch of us on the track team, the mall was kind of close to the high school at that point, and us at the track team were all looking for jobs at the time, and they were like a little older than me, so I was mostly friends with seniors, and I was a sophomore, and a store was opening up, and literally there was a guy outside of the store with a piece of paper. It was no like electronic um, resume, nothing Mm -hmm. like that, and they were like, hey, this store is opening up. Uh, Put your date of birth And put your first and last name and a contact number. And, um, you know, we're looking for applicants and we're looking for people to work as the store is being opened. And that store turned out to be Finish Line in Bayshore. And everyone got hired, essentially. Like, everyone got hired. It was probably 10 of us.
2: Were you ecstatic? Did you think you would have a chance?
1: I didn't know. We Like, we, we were hoping. Like, it, but it was at a time when we were all doing everything together. So, like, we're just like, oh, let's all apply to, to the store. And we were all running track, so we were kind of into sneakers. And I was into sneakers heavily at, at the time. Basically, we put our names down. We all got hired. And the first, like, couple weeks was literally setting up the store in terms of, like, putting the shelves in the stock room and ordering them and the store didn't open for weeks. But it was like few weeks from start to finish putting shelves up and displays and the shoe wall. And then my first shoe, my first day of work was the Air Zoom Citizen. And then, you know, it was a, it was a long road of 10 years or so on and off. Grueling work. Well,
2: where does it start for you? You were a little bit older when you joined the sneaker retail world, right?
3: Uh... A little bit yeah um i guess i don't want to say that i was like born into it right but my mom shout out uh cindy uh welty um, i wasn't
2: sure if you were going to say her name i don't think i'm ever going to say my mom's name on this podcast it's fine
3: she's probably into it um but so we used to live in new hampshire um for a while growing up and we lived in the town where like timberland was the boot company where like their like global headquarters was And she got, like, a job, um, like, answering the phones at Timberland. So she worked there for, like, 15 years, I think. And so that was, like, she got me, like, my first job, like, right out of high school. So that was working at a Timberland, like, factory outlet store. So that was, like, my first. I know it's not sneakers, but that was, like, the first um, footwear retail job that I had. That was, like, only a few months and left and then did a bunch of other shitty jobs. But then I ended up working at Dick's Sporting Goods, which was, like, a wild experience, I would say. Um, Around what time is this? So this is 2006. You're in college? I'm, like, early, like, college years, right? Like, going to school part-time. And what's wild about Dick's Sporting Goods? Because Dick's isn't, like, a real sneaker store, right? So, like, they only sold, like, athletic footwear. Like, they only sold basketball sneakers in the winter. They didn't sell, like, Jordans, like, all year round. But like, wait, what they didn't like at the time, the store I worked didn't even sell Jordans like they only sold basketball sneakers to sell to like basketball players. They didn't sell basketball sneakers and like kids in high school, basically. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. They would stock like football cleats like in the summer to like I sell see. to I football see, teams, see. basketball sneakers yeah. to sell to basketball. Like, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. Um, you'd be working there and there'd be all the other departments and we were right next to like the hunting department. And this is in New Hampshire, mind you. So, like, you'd get people, like, wandering in, like, asking you to help them, like, with a shotgun. And you're like, yo, dude, like, I don't even know how to use any of that stuff, man. It was weird because, like, the people who you worked with, like, weren't into sneakers. But at the same time, I would say that, like, that's where I learned the most about footwear because they actually made you take, like, tests on um, – you know, what's, what's pronation, what's uh, supination. Like, that's great. actually learn all, like you had to take a test to learn all that sort of stuff. So it really like opened my eyes. Cause then I ended up going to Foot Locker like a few years later or like a year later. And Foot Locker was just like, yo, just sell them the most expensive shoe. Who gives a fuck? Like sell some, a pair, some, a pair of Nike shocks. That's the best running shoe.
1: I'm like, Nike shocks fucking suck to run in. Like, why are you trying to sell people these? Joe, did you have to take any tests when you came into the game? You know, Hostile work environment videos, which listen, I passed with flying colors. The finish line videos were classic too. It was like the worst acting ever. But, um, wealthy. To your point that maybe Dix was interested in the education of function and stuff like that, finish line, it was like, yo, sell yeah. accessories. Every shoe has to have an insult. You have to demonstrate sneaker cleaners on every shoe. And Were you guys getting crazy
2: perks back then? Like, no. I always think about what the discount is or how many sneakers you can get early and stuff like that. Were, were you guys running those sorts of jigs?
1: We had a discount. It was 30%. And that, that was like a perk in itself. And as a young... Employee, Like you could put stuff on hold and that was always great. But I was putting the money I was making right back into the store. There's an Instagram account that we were talking about called Good Burger. And he's Mm -hmm. like posting all these old commercials of like the Jordan 3% and the Jordan T-Runner, which was like I think 2000, early 2000s, of course. And I remember just getting my finish line check and immediately buying both of them. They came out like the same weekend. So those Mm -hmm. were like the perks for me. But then towards the end, when I was a manager, I literally have boxes at my parents like such a dick. It was like a Jordan 2, the white and red original colorway. And it says, hold for Puma. If you touch it, you're fired. Like, so, so, yeah, like, I mean, I was young, though. But like towards the end, I was definitely being able to hold sneakers as kind of like my rank in the store went up.
3: Wealthy, did you have crazy perks? Dick's was cheap as fuck, man. I just want to put that on the record. They had like a – I think it was a 20% discount, right, that they would give you. But if something was on sale, like you couldn't apply it to that. You couldn't stack the code? No. It was like the most you could get was 20% off. Like if something was on sale, like you just got it for the sale price, which is whatever. Fuck them. Um, but at Foot Locker – you had like 30% off, same thing. And then they had like the infamous like employee appreciation events um, that were 50% off. And there was also the military discount that people would run tons of jigs on. You'd type, it was like code 69, like on the register. Did
1: you ever do that? Hell
3: yeah. People would definitely like, cause you had to sell the cleaners and stuff and you'd be like, yo dude, like I'll give you this insole for free, but like you just don't get a receipt. And like people would like ring them up on the fucking discount. Wait, 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 wait. Explain that to me. So you come into the store, right? And you're like, yo, Mm -hmm. check out this insole. It's normally 20 bucks, like, but I'll give it to you for free. But like, you're just not going to get like a receipt with the thing. Because like, people would try to come back and return it. And they're like, the manager be like, why is there a discount on this? And like, it's like a paper trail behind it.
2: Paper trail. And you guys have mentioned this before, all these extra things you had to just like sell shoe cleaner and insoles and force shields and things like that. You're constantly hawking these extra products in addition to sneakers. Is that right?
3: Yeah, it had to be a footlocker had to be like 20% of your daily sales or something like that. I think it was either 10 or 20%, something like that. But they'd also do crazy shit like on the employee appreciation events, the 50% off, where like, they would get people to buy like 15 pairs of shoes, and then also like keep a portion of the money. Um, that was like a huge thing.
1: Wealthy, were you a good salesman?
3: I knew the shoes and like all that sort of stuff, but like I hated like trying to sell people insoles because I just felt like it was
1: bullshit. Guys, I say this humbly. You could ask people who worked at Finish Line, like who still work at Finish Line. Like, there's some people out there. Like my guy Marlon Matute is out there if he's listening, and some of my friends. At a point, I was the youngest number one salesman in the company with accessories and multiples they used to call them multiples so every time someone brought up a shoe it had to be multiple items i was a beast and everyone was like competitive like we were so so competitive with that stuff and in every single sneaker scuff and stain you know the rain and stain protector i used to put it on my khakis and then dump water on my khakis and, yeah, and the water would beat yeah, off and yeah. i was like listen look at if, if it's working on your khakis it's going to work on your shoes and people were buying 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 so I was always up for like the competitiveness of selling multiples and accessories. What were the actual sneakers you guys were moving a lot of units of, by the way? Like this is,
2: you said early 2000s, mid 2000s, like which models particularly were you making the bulk of your
3: sales off of? People think that if you, like a lot of sneaker heads have a warped perception about what actually sells at retail. I think a lot of people think that like, it's only like hype shoes and you know, retro Jordans and retro Air Max and all that sort of stuff. Like that stuff does sell, but like, I'm talking like 2006 to like, I work from, so I did like sneaker retail from like 2006 to 2012, right? Or 2013. So seven years. You got your purple heart. You got your, your medal of honor. Yeah. But A lot of the stuff we would sell, like we put a story up on the uh, Complex Sneakers the other day. You should go read it for Air Max Day. Like the Air Max Right was like the biggest seller in the store. They had this shoe called the Air Prestige, which was like a takedown version of the Air Force that like there was like $79.99. Sell a ton of those. Sell a ton of uh, Nike shocks. I mean, you'd also sell like white-on-white Air Force Ones and like retro Jordans like with releases, but – I would say the majority of stuff that you
1: sold at the stores were actually like bullshit sneakers that sneakerheads would laugh at. A mm. thousand percent. And to that point, obviously Air Force Ones, Timberlands, but like a shoe like the Fat Farm Classic Beamer. It was like this white, it was like this white shoe, all white shoe with the P, um, kind of like a P emblem. And mm-hmm. it was like half Adidas Superstar half kind of like air force one. Cause it was all white. We blew out of those. Um, I remember really? that. I remember that section in the stock room being such a mess. There were so many colors of fat farm, classic beamers, and they would sell like crazy, but to wealthy's point, like, uh, she like the Puma Roma. We used to sell a lot of those. So I all definitely, white. yeah, I definitely, definitely agree that, um, <laughs> non sneakerhead shoes were moving a ton. I remember like
3: Similar to probably where you were at, because I was like working in Jersey too for half the time. But like this guy Ray that I used to work with, he was a manager, and he used to he used to he was from Staten Island. I think I mentioned him on the on the podcast before, but he was working, I think, at the Finish Line in the Staten Island Mall. And he said when the All White Shock and Z's came out, yep. um, and this must have been like 2005 or something like that, mm-hmm. they sold a thousand pairs in a weekend at the mall. Oh my
1: god! Yep. it was a lot of shocks, a lot of. I was in Long Island. I went from Long Island to Roosevelt Field to King's Plaza, Brooklyn. So throughout my journey of retail, kind of um, different shoes in different places that you would not expect to sell were moving. I remember the Chris Webber Dada spinners we had. We had so many different sneakers that would come in. And it was always – I remember shipment days. It was always – exciting to open up boxes and see like what was going to come out in a week or two and filling the walls with new stuff you know what shoes that we used to sell a lot and that I used to wear the air turbulence remember the Nike air turbulence does anyone yeah. remember that
2: I have to, I don't I don't that shoe was trash these are fire Joe standing by the air turbulence
1: as a 17 or 18 year old kid yeah like I still like these I co-sign them I don't know about that one you guys mentioned selling like a
2: lot of GR product and how that was a big Mover in terms of units, but did you have to work crazy release days like when a pair of Jordans came out? I know people weren't lining up as much back then, but did
3: you have to kind of, you know, regulate to some extent? The thing was, is that so when I first started out like working in New Hampshire, like those stores didn't get the shoes, right? So the shoes that people would line up for. Yeah. Or we didn't even sell Air Force Ones. Like we didn't sell Air Force Ones, didn't sell Air Max 90s, didn't sell Mm -hmm. retro Jordan product. There was, like, at the time, they called it, like, quote-unquote, like, urban allocation or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um So, you had to, like, work, like, closer to a city to mm-hmm. um, get those shoes. And then, as I got promoted through the company, they'd always move you, like, to stores that were, like, more either, in a, like, closer to a city or, like, an inner-city store. Because those stores would do higher volume because they had the retro releases. Mm-hmm. Um But, yeah, I, I mean... At that time, it wasn't as crazy. The the only product would have been a pair of Jordans, right? Like, the
2: only time I've ever lined up at a mall for a pair of sneakers, it was just a pair of, you know, retro Jordan 3s or Jordan 5s or something like
3: that. But also at the time that, like, I was working, so, like, 2008, 2009, there wasn't Mm -hmm. as much, like, retro product. That was, like, the whole, like, countdown pack era. So there was only, like, one Jordan release, you know, a month. Um, They had all the Fusion Jordans, which nobody cared about and then we were also going through like the recession at that time which like Mm -hmm. really sucked so people like i remember like the flu game 12s came out and like you sold like five pairs on release day like nobody cared about it the shoes went on sale like white and white and red 12s like go on sale like 120 dollars like it's kind of weird to look back at it and see that you know joe were there crazy saturdays
1: for you like were weekend releases big absolutely you know there was just 2003 alone or so black and chrome eights white black true red eights uh the 18s came out i remember even like the 11 low and the black varsity red with like the faux Mm -hmm. snakeskin and for me there was definitely saturday mornings where people were running like first of all we it was when in the era when we started opening early for jordan releases so Mm -hmm. the mall would open at 10 and i think at 8 a.m we would open up and this is in long island at this point Yes. Okay. And it would be basically to get the Jordan customers out of the store and then open for business as usual. So 8 a.m. I think we used to open up, and people would literally be running back and forth from Champs to Finish Line to Foot Locker, trying to get their size, like sprinting, like not not crazy sprinting, like complex con comp sprinting to get into the building, but like people like running just if their size was out, and there was really no rhyme or reason back then because it was one of the first times where people were getting up early to get sneakers. And in the mall, they didn't really know how to deal with it, I guess. Mm -hmm. So the answer was like 8am open, get as many people and as many pairs sold, which they sold very quickly, and then open up for business. And but yeah, we definitely saw that. And I think like, was it hectic? Were there fights? I didn't see any fights, honestly. Because you know what, in my area, it wasn't like 50 people. It was like, 25 people you know Mm -hmm. and split up amongst three kind of big box chains in the mall people would get them but you really did have to come at 8 a.m you you had to like you had to be there at 8 a.m or you would miss out but if you were there it wasn't like what we see today
2: i wonder for either you guys were people like coming in before those things and then trying to like let you hold a little bit extra money to save a pair of shoes for them and stuff like that? Because that's definitely something I heard about on Nike Talk and I tried to do but was never successful.
1: Towards the end, some managers at Finish Line were definitely selling in bulk to mom-and-pop stores. And it's something that I noticed towards the tail end. Really? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, And I think they were making some money on on top of it. So mom-and-pop stores were like – owners have a few one in queens one in brooklyn and one in Mm -hmm. long island they were definitely coming in like one guy would come in and try to buy bulk and i think they would add a little bit on the top which is like you know listen that's the early days of reselling Mm -hmm. and so yeah that was definitely happening towards the tail end of my retail career and it kind of laid the foundation of what we see now
2: yeah i think a lot of stores do that now with StockX, wealthy what about you for me
3: it's kind of like i guess uh multifold so we had like resellers. I want to say the earliest resellers that I remember dealing with like weren't like Jordan resellers. It was uh Brazilians. So Nike shocks were like the most expensive shoes like in Brazil at the mm-hmm. time and like the most like hype sneakers. So there was a really huge like Brazilian community outside of the mall I was working at in Boston. And they'd always come in and like when the shocks went on sale for like 79.99 and they would try to buy like every fucking pair in the store, but they'd want the like the employee discount. And then ship them to Brazil, like, 30, 35, 40 pairs, like, at a time. But you'd kind of have to do it on the low. So you would give them the discount? I would um, and try to get them to break you off. But sometimes it wouldn't happen. Awesome. And then you'd feel like an idiot. But Damn. but um, the real crazy shit happening towards the end, like, 2011. That's, like, when right before, I feel like, Jordan releases got, like, regulated. Um, this is before, like, Foot Locker actually had, like, a raffle sort of system. And every release, it would be more and more fuck shit, like the stores would try to like, open up like, earlier and earlier than the other one. So like, and it wasn't fair to the consumer, I don't think because people would like show up at like one o'clock in the morning, because they didn't know if the store was going to open at three or four or five or six, like whatever the time they were going to drop the shoes. And I think people just really got sick of that and kind of like we're like what's what's going on and the malls kind of hated dealing with it because if you don't know like the mall's not open at four o'clock in the morning so Mm -hmm. why is like why does the mall have to hire like security to be there at four o'clock in the morning for for a jordan release um yeah and i remember people like backdooring literally full size runs of like the white cement threes from 2011 i definitely lined up in a mall for that shoe flint 13s around the same time too Mm -hmm. right love those um I remember, f- like, literally, I'm talking, like, 30, 40 pairs. What year was that? 2011, 2012, right, Brandon? 2011, okay. sounds
1: right. Okay. Yeah.
3: Full-size runs of those getting back door to store managers, though, in New Brunswick, New Jersey. The
1: other thing I want to say, when I worked at Roosevelt Field, it was my second stop in finish line. And I'm pretty sure that Ronnie used to come in, and Ronnie had an early eye for, like, um...
2: Wait a minute. Ronnie Phi used to come into the finish
1: line store in Long Island that you worked at? Yeah, he's from Great Neck, so... My friend Rudy, who we'll get to later, Rudy Calderon, um, he used to sell Ronnie sneakers. And Ronnie had an early eye for like cool vandals and the stuffed tongue Nike dunks. And I think that Ronnie used to come into finish line Roosevelt Field before we knew each other. And, you know, I'm wondering how many classics that he has back then. But he used to buy a lot.
2: Really? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, you and Ronnie Feig are great friends now, but you think you crossed paths
1: back then? Absolutely. And from what I know, he used to come in a lot. We just didn't know each other. I'm sure I sold him shoes and we didn't know each other. But yeah, I always hear stories of like when we worked there, Ronnie used to come in and buy like tons of heat that are now considered like cult classics.
3: I have two really quick, funny uh, celebrity uh, run ins. The first one I was working at uh, PBD. Ma- well, both of them are actually at the same store. I was working at a uh, PBD Massachusetts North Shore Mall. What is it? Peabody? And what is that? Peabody. is that? the name of the store. That's the town, but it's spelled Peabody. Okay. P e a b o d y. But in gotcha. Mass, you pronounce it Peabody. Um, and uh, <laughs> and um, I'm there, and a guy walks in, and he's like fucking like six foot eight, like. 450 pounds and i'm like holy shit like scary right and mm-hmm. he walks up to me and it ended up being joe and i know you'll know who this is is it was prince albert from the wwe oh yes
1: <laughs> yes bald head so bald head. Uh,
3: yeah yep. and he's he's fucking huge yeah. like he's a huge guy and he walks up to me and he has like size 15 like generic nikes on and they're like crease and they have a stain on them he's like how do i clean these things and i was like uh you use this and i hand of the sneaker cleaner and he's like are you mm-hmm. sure this is gonna work and i'm mm-hmm. like yeah yeah it should work and he's like if it doesn't work i'm gonna come back looking for you and i was like ah uh. because yes. he's like he's like he's like towering over me while while this is happening and um so I guess it worked. He never came back and fucked you up? No, he never came back and, like, fucking, threw like, body slammed me through the glass. Um, What's the
2: other celebrity spotting?
3: The other one was uh, Chris Rock. Oh. Um, came in when he was shooting, I believe, Grown Ups 2 um, with Adam Sandler and all them because they were shooting it in Massachusetts. And he came in super incognito. He had, like, a hat down, like, over his eyes and, like, a tracksuit and a pair of, I want to say, Safety Orange 95s on. Mm. Um and it he came in like it was like earlier in the day with like mall walkers and stuff or something like that and um i saw him and like i'm i'm never the type to like want to be like hey oh my god chris rock like let's take Mm -hmm. a photo together so i'm like this dude's definitely incognito he wants his space so i was just like uh hey man do you need help with anything and he just looks at me he's like nah man i'm cool and i'm like all right cool i just i'll just let him do his thing and then he left and then as he's walking like, A group of kids were like, Oh my god, that's Chris Rock. And you just heard like a stampede, like go through the mall, and you could tell he just like ran out the door and like left. And you think
2: the 95s were they carried him there?
3: Yeah, because he's a dope runner, man.
2: <laughs> I, I gotta tell, I gotta tell a celebrity story because, like I said, I never worked sneaker retail, but I grew up in like a record shop, slash video game shop, slash instrument shop, just a crazy store where we would have a lot of like new and used items and stereo equipment, all sorts of different stuff. And I was in there all the time after school, growing up. I was in there one summer and I, I think I was in college at the time. I think this is probably like 2010 and I'm kind of like working and you know, it, it sounds like a different environment than the one you guys worked in. Cause like it was a family store, like my stepdad rest in peace owned it. So we kind of like got to do whatever we wanted and you know, we kind of had a certain attitude towards some customers or you weren't always paying attention to people and just, you know, kind of let them do their thing. So there's this, this older guy in there and he's checking out some bongos and, you know, he's kind of tapping on them and it's like, this guy probably has some money. This guy might start spending some money. So he's like messing around with the bongos and, um, He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to get these. And then my stepdad's like really paying attention. He's like, oh, this guy's going to spend some money. So let's, you know, let's make sure he gets what he wants. So the guy got the bongos. And again, I'm like halfway paying attention, kind of helping him out. Not really. I think I was watching Jeopardy on the TV or something. I think he picked up a keyboard too. He's like, I'm going to get this too. And he's checking out. And I think that maybe he paid with a credit card and somebody looked at his his ID to check it. And they were like, oh, you're from Oregon. He's like, yeah and they mentioned that his last name was hatfield which was the name of a governor of oregon previously like my stepfather's from oregon so he just made this connection he said hatfield and i looked up and it was fucking tinker hatfield there at my stepdad's record store those who don't know, Tinker Hatfield, the most legendary sneaker designer there is. The guy who made all the most important Air Jordans, Air Max shoes, etc. Like in the middle of nowhere in Idaho, it turns out he has like a crazy summer home there in Sandpoint, Idaho. So once I looked up and saw that it was Tinker, you know, we, we talked for half an hour. and I, I had a random pair of Nike SB Dunk Mids on my feet, which like a lot of people have signed Tinker Hatfield shoes. I have a pair, but it's the fucking SB Dunk Mid, which has nothing to do with Tinker. But I had them on when I met him. Then it was just such a crazy moment and I've seen him since at industry events and you know Tinker Hatfield's obviously met a million sneaker nerds and doesn't care to remember who was who but I always bring up this 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 standpoint Idaho thing he's like oh yeah the record store so that's my only celebrity kind of sneaker retail sighting
1: that's a good one though that's a good one um not Tinker Hatfield but It was in the fall of 2003, I was at college, but I basically, when I went away to college, over Christmas break in the summer, I would go back to the finish line and and work there. So at this point, it was Roosevelt Field. And um, there would be some celebrities that came in, Santana Moss from the Jets came in a lot. My friends uh, would sell him sneakers, but as anyone who knows me knows, I was a 50 cent G unit fanatic in my junior and senior year of college. And one day at Roosevelt Field, Lloyd Banks came in to, to buy the the black and red 12s. Oh, my God. And my friends were like hitting me up, texting me, Lloyd Banks is here. Lloyd Banks is here. I had such, such FOMO. How
2: far away were you? Was there any chance you would like hop in a car and speed over nah, there? I was
1: at UConn. I was, I, was th- I was three and a half hours away at UConn, but he came in. I was like, come on. And this is when I was playing Lloyd Banks' unit and 50, like, nonstop in the dorms at, Mm -hmm. at UConn. So I think he came in to buy, yeah, the black and red 12s, my friend said. And my friends got him to sign a receipt paper, extra receipt paper, like two Puma from Lloyd Banks, like with his signature. And uh, they gave it to me when I got home. But I was so mad that I missed a uh, chance to to help Lloyd Banks and an idol of mine at,
2: at the time. Did he get an employee discount or did they break him off at all? I don't know.
1: I don't know. But I got the finish line receipt paper with uh, two Puma from Lloyd Banks somewhere.
2: That's a relic.
0: and 365-day returns.
2: Guys, both of you have mentioned kind of the lawlessness around these places. Like how much tomfoolery was happening in the stock room, or how wild did it get at these sneaker stores? I know they're corporate institutions, but
3: were you guys kind of going crazy in there? There's like stories that like... You don't want to get like federally indicted. You know what I mean? What? Um,
1: Federally indicted? I mean, it got crazy. Early in my career in Bayshore, it got crazy. You know, we'll start with a fun one. There were people stealing from the store that were my friends. I had no idea that it was going on and they would be like, "Uh, hey, we had to part ways with so-and-so. I'd be like, why? They're like, oh, he stole like 20 pairs of sneakers. I was like, impossible. And it was like the whole hustle was like taking the garbage out and stealing sneakers that way. and people volunteering to take the garbage out and that's when like they would like either have someone waiting i guess for sneakers that they would bring out with the garbage but uh i was never aware it was going on so theft was pretty rampant in the early days i remember timberlands and air force ones getting stolen were
2: you allowed to chase people down if somebody ran out
1: of there basically there was this thing called heads up right and when you would bring out a sneaker and give it to someone, and then they're like, hey, can I also see this in a size 10 and a half? You would have to go back to the stock room and say, heads up, yell heads up, right? And it would make people aware that, hey, th- you have shoes on the floor and you're going back. So um you would have to go heads up, and then if you like forgot to say it once, sometimes you would come out, the box would be there, you open the box, and it's like dirty, dusty old sneakers. And clearly you got sneakers stolen from you. I never chased anyone I have had friends managers who like had tasers and things like that never tased anyone never tased. yes would go after people with like tasers like my one of my good (laughs) friends at the time he was like going through a breakup and like had a really really bad day and someone stole timberlands from him and he like tried to chase the guy out of the mall looked for him in the parking lot and like had a taser and like mall security was like bro what, what are you doing right now what what are you it doing work like that. <laughs> yeah like like come on man and like we had to calm him down but theft was rampant and it was so rampant that like and still to this day it's like called shrink it's like built in yeah um, yeah what is that
2: you said shrink i don't know yeah what that shrink
1: is. it's a term basically it's built into like um the bottom line something they account for regardless because they know it's going to happen or it's just stuff
3: that goes missing shrink is like the overall percentage of products that aren't accountable during the audit that weren't sold Wealthy? Were people stealing from your store? Um, I mean, had that sort of stuff happen? I remember I busted a guy that was like trying to steal a pair of sneakers with his daughter, and it was weird. Um, oh no! Can you tell that story? Yeah, it was like this super like nice guy, um, trying on a pair of, like cross training shoes at Dick's, and then like, but at the at the time it was like a big department store, so you just give him the shoes and they walk up to the register, so you mm-hmm. wouldn't think much about it, mm-hmm. and. I think he bought his daughter a pair of shoes or he bought himself a pair of shoes or something like that. But He was buying two pairs. And then as I went and to put the other shoes away, I opened it up. And as Joe said, there was like a dirty pair of shoes in the box. And I uh, the guys with his like five year old daughter and I had to be like, hey, man, you forgot these ones, too. Ooh. And like handed him handed him back his uh, shoes that he was trying. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot those.
1: Yeah, one thing one manager used to do, if he caught you stealing, like, you know, people and I'm wealthy, I'm sure that, like you said, yeah. people got caught stealing. One manager, I had a very close friend. It was his go-to move. He would know that he got a pair of sneakers stolen. If he found the person, which, you know, sometimes you walk through the mall with people and what would happen is, oh, yo, they just took this. And if they didn't get too far, you would kind of chase them down. Or walk very swiftly. What he would do if he got the shoes back, he would be like, listen, I'm going to call the cops if you don't give the shoes back. So they would obviously give the shoes back. And he was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but I also want the ones that you wore to the mall. And he would make them walk barefoot. He would take their shoes back. He would take their shoes back and the shoes that they tried to steal. And literally they would go barefoot wherever they were going next. Walk of shame.
3: Yep. I remember a crazy one. This isn't a stealing story. This is just a wild fucking story. There was this one guy that came in like late at night and he had like a pair of Tims and he wanted to return them and like there was like a weird like employee discount on them. And I'm like, hey man, do you work for Foot Locker? And he's like, nah. He's like, I'm like, well, I can't return this then because like, you know, someone like hooked you up with an employee discount and like I can't I can't bring it back. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you need to go talk to your talk to whoever gave you this (laughs) discount and you know they'll sort everything out for you. And he got like really fucking mad about it. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I can't do it, man. Sorry. And I'm like working in the store by myself at like, you know, eight o'clock at night in Saugus, Massachusetts, which wasn't the best mall to work at at the time. But was not um, Peabody? No, Peabody was like kind of an upscale mall. So I get a phone call like we close at nine. I get a phone call like 45 minutes later. And it's like, hey, what time do you guys close at? And I'm like, in, I'm like in 10 minutes. And I was like, all right, uh, I'll see you soon then and i was like (laughs) i was and i was like waiting for another customer to come and no one came. and i'm like oh fuck i was like it's the dude that in my head i'm thinking i'm like it's the guy that like i'll see you soon and i because he got really fucking angry in the store Mm -hmm. i'm like walking out and like there's like a car like parked like with its lights flashed like right towards the like exit like waiting there and I'm like, oh, shit. And I had to like – I like, I think I went out the back exit and like up the fucking stairs Damn. and like fucking ran into my car and drove, and drove off. You didn't,
1: like, you didn't have the blinky on you?
3: No. Um, Did you ever know for sure if like that? I wasn't, but I never knew for sure. But like I was just like super shook by like the situation knowing that like mm. things can like escalate over sneakers like that. Because you've definitely like seen people like get into fights and like uh, I heard stories about like – you know the – um. You know, they used to have, like, that uh, that metal thing that they would put out in the front of the store. It's, like, 2 for 89, like, the, yeah, the yeah. sign. People getting mad and, like, taking that and, like, swinging it, like, at employees and shit. And you said you saw fights. I didn't see them personally. I heard about them gotcha. from the other managers. Like, a, one of the managers, like, uh, got pissed at a kid. He was an asshole. He, like, gave me, like, fucking crazy stress. But he threw a customer into the shoe wall, which <laughs> is, like, crazy to, uh, crazy to
2: hear about, but... I do want to tell a quick story on the theft tip again. I don't have any sneaker retail stories, but I have done a few tours of duty in the world of retail, and I knew I know you guys wanted to hear more Magic: The Gathering yeah. card shop stories. But so, like I alluded to at the top of the show, when I was in college, I worked at a store in Eugene, Oregon called Addictive Behaviors, which was like a like hobby shop. You know, they had all types of like nerdy board games, and they would play a lot of the Magic: The Gathering there. You know, Saturdays for the Yu Gi Oh kids. Worst smelling group there. Um, Did you have a goatee that smelled like Cheetos? I,
1: <laughs>
2: I had very little facial hair, but I, I spent a lot of my time in college there. And I, I worked there for maybe, maybe a summer or maybe a year or something like that. But I remember I was, I was in there and there was this guy kind of just like hanging out and pacing around and not making a lot of eye contact. I wasn't a regular person, you know, it was it was somebody I'd never seen before and in the store like where it is in Eugene, Oregon, it's right next to the bus station, which if you've ever been to Eugene, you know, all sorts of unsavory characters are right there. And he was just kind of like shuffling around and he like picked something up and then started to turn around and walk slowly to the door. And I was like, hey, man, hey. And then I fucking bolted out of there and started chasing him. And somebody else who was in the store at the time, who I, I didn't know either, but they started chasing him with me, and we're fucking, like, chasing the guy across the street. And this is a very busy street, and I, like, fell in the middle of the, the hot pursuit of this fucking card thief, <laughs> and, like, ripped part of my Mishka pants open oh, or something wow. like that. But the other dude fucking, like, kept going, like track star bolting after this guy and fucking pinned him down at one point and the police got him and all this stuff and the good samaritan who helped out i let him buy a bunch of magic cards on my store credit and stuff like that but i just want you guys to know i was out here chasing people down
1: all right and you missed your pants i respect it so wealthy you brought up the like metal signage in the front of the stores one yeah. weird theft story i have is that i had one of my friends who was the manager at one time name was rudy um if you know you know not going to really say his last name. I think I said his last name already, anyway. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So sorry, but um, not the hardest puzzle
2: to put together. Exactly.
1: I remember 2003. It was like during that Nokia Engage era. Remember that? Of course. Okay. So, so the gaming phone, exactly, right? Exactly the gaming phone, and it was like he had the morning shift. It was like ten to eight, and um, at that time we were all like five years, six years in, and it was. 2003, I remember Yao Ming signed to Reebok. And for signage, you guys know that the retail, week to week or every few weeks, you had to change the displays. So at that point, you had a seven-foot, six-inch cardboard cutout of Yao Ming in the front of the store. Like giant, giant Yao Ming mm-hmm. in front of the store. And my guy, Rudy, the manager at the time, must have been playing the engage gauge and... We look, kind of looked up, and I came out of the stock room, or so. And then we looked up, and I was like, "Yo, where did Yao Ming go?" It was here, like ten mm. minutes ago. Someone stole Yao Ming from the front of the no. store. Someone stole a seven foot six Reebok Yao Ming cardboard cutout and was walking through the mall and very we, casually with Yao Ming casually. We arm. missed it. We missed it. A and young like, Bach boy. <laughs> he was Yao Ming was an OG <laughs> Bach boy. Think about it. I would like to think someone in their man cave has a seven foot six Reebok Yao Ming cardboard cutout right now, and that's quite the trophy. That's wild. It was crazy. I mean, listen, it, it was wild. Like there was a time, honestly, once one of our managers he got transferred from upstate, and he was like this really nice, soft spoken guy. And um, we had like a, a tough crew at the time. Like I remember one day, like he went to t- he went to take like a a shoot from the shelf in the stockroom, and a gun fell down. Literally a, a gun fell <laughs> down. Yes. Like, thank God it didn't go off, but it was like, someone brought a gun to like the store. And it was just, I think like people were kind of hooking up in the fitting rooms. There was times like, these are the salacious details I need. There were times where we kind of let it get away from us a little bit. Yeah. So retail, anyone who worked retail definitely, definitely has some stories and I'm sure like we could go on for hours about it, but there was a an underbelly of retail for sure, where these things were happening. Wealthy,
2: you ever come across a gun in the stockroom? Is
3: it this crazy where you were? No, I mean people definitely fucked in the. Oh
1: the well, changing I was rooms. saying hooking up, but okay, go ahead.
3: Um, no, because like I mean, <sighs> I, I I did a I did a short stint at a J Crew, and like people would bring like couples would bring like twenty outfits into the fitting room together. You know what I mean? And you then like, not buy any of it. in the changing room, room together. Uh, well, I mean, if it's a boyfriend and girlfriend, like they want to see how the clothes look. Two stories that really stick out to me. um I remember Joe was talking about popping the Air Max bubble and he had the Air Max 2009 in the in the social asset that we put out. But I remember a guy, this was during like the height of the recession, came in with the fakest pair of Air Max 2009s with a Foot Locker receipt too, like a fake Foot Locker receipt. I don't know where the fuck he got it from. He must have bought it off of eBay or wow. something like that. It tried to return them and I was like, the receipt, like, it looked kind of right, but the paper wasn't right. You know what I mean? You could tell that something was up with it. And the the bubble wasn't the same on the shoes. And I, like, I put it to, like, the next to the other pair. And the guy's like, wow, uh, I don't know why these would be fake. And, like, he was definitely, like, trying to, like, pull a jig, you know. Very and, bad acting. Yeah. And he was like, oh, man, uh, I, I didn't know. Uh, I'm like, well, I mean, I can't do anything so for you. So if you want to go to the person you bought it from and talk to me, He's like, yeah, sure, I'll be back. And, like, you never see the guy again. But um, I remember working in downtown Boston, which that store was fucking wild. But there was like a crackhead sort of dude that came in, and he had a pair of fucking uh, Tony Montana uh, Air Force Ones, okay. like yes, just
2: the Scarface joint.
3: No, not the Scarface ones that came out. Like a pair of white on white Air Force Ones that had like a had like almost like a reflective like Scarface scene on the swoosh. Oh. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> <laughs> like a lenticular treatment yeah. or something. Yeah. And he came in and like it's like this crackhead guy, and he's like, Oh, I'm here to return these. And like in downtown, like they didn't give a fuck. So they're like, Get the fuck out of our store, dude. Beat it. And he's like, What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I I got these Air Force Ones from my girlfriend. Like, I want to return them. And he's like they're like, No, dude, get out of here. And I'm like, I just wanted to see the shoes. I remember them, like they kept the shoes from the guy and they opened them up and it had like Scarface on it. And it
2: was, they took the shoes from him? Yeah. treated him like those guys at joe's store they make him walk home barefoot man
1: wealthy i'm always curious how much did you fight back when someone stole something like i have you know i have a story and it was king's plaza and it was um you know when you had the hat displays it basically had every size seven seven one eighth seven and one fourth uh (laughs) seven three four i knew and and to be honest you kind of knew when people were there to steal stuff you could just like working retail all those years, you could kind of like... You
3: could feel it. You
2: could feel you could it feel and feel suss
1: it. it out. And like there was tricks that people were using that like you knew because they were using them over and over, different people. I was in King's Plaza once. Um Guys came in. One of them, basically kind of like almost as behind the cash register as you could, but it was like this little opening that wasn't fully behind the cash register. Literally took a wad of Yankee fitteds, like every size, and... I'm like – like, and just started walking out. I'm like, yo, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he was like, yes. Can I help you? Walked right out and I like gave me a death stare and I was like, have a nice day, sir. <laughs> Wealthy, how many wow. – I mean honestly, dude, I, I was like I'm just not fighting over Yankee fitteds and the death stare ice grill that I got – I just said, hey, listen. Sometimes the seven one eight fits a little different than the seven and one fourth, but you have them both, so just figure out which one fits better and have a, have a good day. Wealthy, did you ever did you ever fight did you ever fight back or what?
3: To be honest, I only had like one person that I remember like actually beat me on a pair of shoes, and it was like this guy and his girlfriend, and they were, like, super friendly, and I was the only person in the store, and, like, the the store manager and the district manager were out back, like, counting shoes, and I didn't think anything of it, and he goes to his girl, he's like, hey, hey, babe, uh, you want to try on a pair of shoes, too, right? And I was like, all right, I'll go get it for you, because they were super friendly, and as I went back, they, like, just ran out with fucking the one pair of sneakers for the guy, and I had to, like, literally tell the district manager, like, right there that I got beat on the pair of shoes. They ran? Like, 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 I I always wonder, like, are people i didn't see him no like i was literally gone for like dude i was gone for like 30 seconds and like they were nowhere in sight but the funny part was is that i remember so i i decided i was like fuck foot Locker, i'm out right mm-hmm. um or at least like because i was like an assistant manager to be honest like worst fucking job ever i think during the height of being an assistant manager at foot locker i was making like twenty eight thousand dollars a year which was like the dude. the lowest ouch the yes the lowest the lowest of the lows and working like fucking like 50 plus hours a yep. week and having yep. and having to lie to the there was actually a class action lawsuit against Foot Locker, So I don't feel bad about saying it. They made um, they made employees lie about their hours to make the numbers. Um, So at the time, I was like, I'm going to go back to school. And my district manager, this Times guy, Jim Clark, who I think is probably massively stupid at this point even for what he said to me but i was like hey i'm gonna go back to i'm gonna go back to school and he's like that's the fucking stupidest thing you could ever do in your life um and i was like really he's like he's like do you see so and so he's like he's like what are you gonna do i'm gonna be a journalist he's like oh do you see so and so he's a journalist and he fucking hates his life you're gonna smoke cigarettes and be stressed and like
1: never be successful you still are stressed although you have found some success so he was wrong and different ways to cope yeah. with it he, he goes to the prosciutto exactly exactly so you got the last laugh you tell that manager what's his name Listen.
3: yeah jim clark go fuck yourself Damn oh boy. okay uh but no i mean just certain people that like pass you yep. in those worlds where, like you know
1: for sure you know it's weird that some of that stuff sticks out to me too like yeah. people telling me you know i interned for complex for two years and someone pretty close to me was like you get to intern forever hey yeah you hear us now weekly don't you the audio quality isn't what it could be, but you hear us. I know. Listen, it's, it's not that clear, but you still hear us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, the, progr- the program's shoddy, but you hear us, right? Oh, we're in your ears. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you do remember those kind of – I think everyone uses that as, as inspiration. even That teacher who told you you're never going to amount to nothing, basically. Exactly. Exactly, like Miss Guthrie fucker yeah drop it drop it i i i I I did that that's all i have to say
2: (laughs) guys i'm so glad we got to delve into this like i hear pieces and bits of these stories from you and they're here and there in podcast episodes but really kind of hearing firsthand what that shit was like you know those are the stories that you never forget and like these weird connections to certain models you know a, a lot of our memories have to do with blogs or lining up for shoes but you guys were actually out there selling them i mean that sounds incredibly real I want to tell one more story uh, just as it relates to coronavirus and all that. And it does connect back to sneakers, as it always does. You guys ever fight with people over sneakers? How? Like what? Have you ever gotten to, like, argument over sneakers?
1: I argue with this guy wealthy every day. What do you mean?
2: I had, like, a family rift over sneakers. This is a true story. Oh, no, not like that. I think I've mentioned before that parts of my collection are in different parts of the country. I have a bunch of shoes stored in Oregon that have been looked after by my brother for the last eight years or so and i never really check on them too frequently i go there once a year maybe everything looks good whatever but i was talking on my on facetime over christmas and i saw him wearing a pair of black cement threes and he's not a sneaker guy at all and i was just like those mm-hmm. those are the pair with the jump man on them mm-hmm. like not the newer joints like you definitely don't have access you know and so i started pressing him on it over facetime and we started kind of like going back and forth and you know he hangs up on me eventually and then a bunch of furious texts back and forth between each other you know sibling stuff and he kind of uh, freaked out on me. And, I, you know, I learned in that moment that my shoes, my precious stash was being dipped into and we kind of weren't speaking for months because of it. But then this Coronavirus thing happened. And I feel like because of it, everybody is like reaching out to the people they care about, which I'm so happy to see and people reconnecting and things like that. And he finally sent me this apologetic text being like, I'm sorry, I love you. And we we're talking again. And uh, this thing that happened over sneakers is finally like, patched up so i i just wanted to get that out there in terms of where we're at right now with this self-isolation but trying to stay connected you know
1: you guys made up because you realize that there's more important things than black cement threes
2: um (laughs) i don't know if i'll go so far as to say that because black cement threes are very important very important important, but but, you know we're good and it's my other brother's birthday today so so shout out to him too you know it's it's a family affair
1: but all seriousness like a lot of stuff going on now now it is the time to Kind of the trivial stuff to put aside and make amends with some riffs, whether it's over sneakers or something else for sure. Sneakers are not trivial, though. That's true. But less important than family.
3: Joe, the last quick question I want to ask you before we go out. You don't need to give any specifics, but just uh, yes or no. Did you ever get a girl's number while working in the store?
1: Yes. My first girlfriend, we got to say this. I have to. My first girlfriend worked at Baskin Robbins at the kiosk two doors down from the finish line. A Long Island love story. My first love, honestly. I'm not going to front. I'm giving the people what they want. I'm being transparent. My first love, for sure. And she worked at Baskin Robbins. She used to come in the store. Didn't give a shit about sneakers. And it ended up – I was dating her for like two years and there was like someone who came into the store and we like got into like this online beef over her. And – Got into a fight in the store and my nose was broke while customers were in the store, blood gushing all over. You saved that one for
2: the end? How did you, yeah.
1: you weren't gonna tell us that story? Sorry. He you know what? That's why this guy's good at he <laughs> he asked questions that you expect. but yes. So, and they were like, Bring all your friends to when do you work next? And I was like, I work this day at this time. Bring all your friends. None of my friends could get off. I brought Guys who I knew from Brentwood, very tough guys. Brentwood is a tough, tough area in – in uh,
2: The Sharks or Jets?
1: Done. These were tough guys, bro. These were tough guys. Anyway, they never showed up and my girlfriend at the time was like, oh, you guys were talking all this shit. You didn't show up. They showed up and we got into a fight in the store with customers. I got like sucker punched from the side. My nose was broke, blood all over the store. But um, yes, to your point, not only did I get a number – <laughs> While working at Finish Line, I definitely met my first like real love. And
3: uh and you got into an AOL instant messenger beat yes, Yo, at exactly. the same time.
2: Here's the thing. We need like a transparent emotional story from Wealthy. Now that we're pouring our guts out, Wealthy, I need I something sneaker related. I don't know if it's in the store or what, but we're all here being very emotional with each other in these Come tough on. times. We're all I need we something got. from you.
1: Oh my god. Look at that fourth um, quarter story, the last shot I hit, right? Wealthy, give me something.
3: Um, okay, here's a story. Um I was working at yeah, at the store at Saugus. So there was this girl that I had met on Nike Talk, right? Oh, uh, he met her on Nike Talk? Go
1: ahead. Go, go. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> Sneak up, met her, sneaker cutie four
1: on Nike Talk?
3: <laughs> uh, No, but um, I met this girl on Nike Talk. <laughs> and um, we had it like started dating. Us. She lived in Massachusetts. And I was working there. And we had the, what was it? The 60 plus... Jordan 1 pack, the black toe. Was it black? Was it bread Jordan 1s? Like the Celtic Jordan 1s? Remember those that came in the pack together? Right, right.
1: White, black, and green,
3: right? And we had like a fucking hundred pairs of them and couldn't sell the shoes. And she had said that, like, oh, her black and red ones, like someone had like stolen them or something like that, or they got fucked up. And she wanted to get a pair and like came down, like, before we worked. And like, I opened the gate and like, you know, we talked and I like gave her like I didn't give her the shoes. I sold her the shoes, but like on my employee discount. But then like, ended up like dating and she was like going away to school at the time and was like, oh, I'm going away to school. But like in like Philadelphia or something, it didn't matter. But she's like, oh, you should like probably try to get out of this because you hate it so much. And I was like, you're right. I should probably do it. And that's when I just applied to Rutgers. And that's the only school that I applied to. And I got in and that's when I left. But that was the whole. She changed your life. You uh, did impetus the whole impetus to get out of it i ended up working at footlocker for another like three years while i was at complex um jim clark as 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 an intern i used to when i was um working there i was a freelance style writer intern and i used to have to do the sunday blog posts and like i used to run into like the barnes and noble and like try to like bang out like a quick like news post on the on the, Steal Wi-Fi. the internet
2: something you're huh? still doing in 2020 stealing internet from other people to do your complex work
3: yeah but that was um i guess a moment that kind of changed my life for the better so do you remember her screen name oh yes i do i do remember. Okay. Not we're not gonna say it, it but.
1: well well you, you you know when you get that uh when you get that footwear news award you could thank her <laughs> Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> uh, all right, I think we should wrap up. Um, listen, I think it was a kind of like a, a last second shot. We both Lit- we literally shot our shot exactly. Um, Beautiful. We hope everyone enjoyed it. And guys, stay safe. We will be here every Friday morning wherever you guys consume podcasts. Thank you so much for joining the Complex Sneakers Podcast. We will see you guys next week. Stay safe. Our producer is Shiva Bayet. Sound engineering done by Kyle Garvey. Special thanks to Dave Matthews and Jennifer Stewart. The Complex Sneakers podcast is part of the Complex Podcast Network.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.